Good evening, family. I'm used to transition in the morning, um, but I'm so glad to be able to deliver the word to you tonight. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Janelle Perkins, one of the associate pastors here, and I get the privilege to serve you tonight with the awesome word of God. Amen. We are going to be coming from Philippians 3.10, and while you turn in your Bibles there, our um, Pastor Jim has been doing a series called Knowing God. So we're con- going to continue on that series tonight about knowing God. In the intro, that was the question, do you know him? And that's a question we need to continue to ask ourselves, do we know him? I'm going to use Philippians 3.10 as a backdrop because Paul is speaking here. And many of you may remember Paul. He was once saw a persecutor of the church. He was the modern day ISIS in the day. He would go around persecuting and killing Christians, and he had government permission to do so. So he was going around killing Christians, and then one day, everybody say one day, he was on the road to Damascus, getting ready to do what he thought he was big enough to do. Only this day was different because he met the Savior. He met God, and God knocked him right over his horse and said, why are you persecuting me? Now, what's interesting in that statement is when you think about it, Saul did not have authority to touch God. Who can touch God? But God took it personal because he said, you're touching what's mine. So when you touch what's God, you're really touching him. And we know then Paul had an encounter with Christ, with God, and was changed. He was blind for three days. And Ananias was told to go lay hands on Saul getting ready to turn and transition to Paul. How many of you would have wanted that assignment? You know, and as our pastor had preached before, not only did God tell Ananias to do that, he showed Paul in a vision who Ananias was. So Paul knew who to expect. That's what happens when we get an encounter. We were once blind, but now we see. When God lays hands on us, what we didn't see before, we now all of a sudden see. So here we have Paul now on fire. As much as he was on fire for the enemy, he's doubly on fire for his God. And so we're going to go ahead and turn, if you're not already there, to Philippians 3.10. And it reads, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Father, we thank you for your word and the transforming power in it. We yield ourselves to you, Father, willingly asking, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds, allow us to think and be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about three things tonight. Our Father, our faith, and our fight. Our Father, our faith, and our fight. Coming from Philippians 3.10, Paul says to know him. This original word means in the, to know him is an intimacy that a husband and wife would know on their wedding night. So it's not just a head knowledge. It's an intimacy coming together, spirit, soul, and body. So Paul was saying, Lord, that I would know you like that. That intimacy of knowing you inside out, Father. That's what I desire. And he defined what that looks like, the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. So let's talk about who he wanted to know. We know God is a father. There's many attributes to God in scripture. We know God is not his name, just like woman is not my name. 
Woman, if you're a woman or a girl, it's not your name. Man or boy, it's not your name. You have a name. Somebody calls you when you're calling. When I'm calling my husband, I don't say, hey, man. I say, hey, Sean, that's his name. Well, God has a name. His name is Jehovah. Yahweh. They're interchangeable. That is God's name, and it's holy. And so God was introducing himself in the Old Testament to many in his attributes. So it wasn't just about his name. His attributes and his nature came with his name. So as we look at what Paul was talking about to know him, we're going to talk about what it means to know God intimately. We see in Psalms 83, 18, it reads that I may know him, that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So he is the creator. He always existed. He doesn't need anything to exist. He exists within himself. He created everything. He's the only one that can take something um, out of nothing. He's the only one that can do that. He is the creator of heaven and of earth. So as we look at to know him and the intimacy that it takes, you know, I thought about it. We will, will never really know him fully down here because we're so limited in our understanding. So it's a joy every day to get to unfold our relationship with him, to know him better in every situation we go through. And that the fact that when he comes back, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye going to a different realm, and then we'll see him as he is. Can you imagine that day to see him as he is? But here we have Paul saying to know him. John 17, 18 through 21 reads, and you sent me into the world. This is Jesus speaking. I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth, they being us. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that also they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So here we have Jesus talking to his Father about us, and he's praying that we would be one even as he and the Father are one, intimacy, relationship that they would be in us. And so as we get to know the father, we get to know his heart. And his heart was to dwell and have relationship with his people. We see in Jeremiah 31, he says, I will put my word in them. No longer will it be just on tablets and you check off the box. I went to church, I read my Bible, I ushered, I helped in the nursery. But you know, your heart can be far away from serving. So even though you're serving, it doesn't mean your heart is in it. So God said, what I'll do is I'll put my word in them, in their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. So the Lord was saying, I'm going to do something different because I desire relationship with them. He made the first move. And he says, if they desire to be my people, all they have to do is call on me. Whosoever will believe. And so we have here the Father's desire. We see Jesus' desire for us to be one, intimate with him. So Paul goes on to say, to know you and the power of your resurrection. How many of you love to see the power of God's resurrection? That's that divine and, and provision, you know, you didn't have rent and all of a sudden, bam, you have it. You, you're sick in your body and you pray and all of a sudden, bam, 
you're healed. Divine provision is at your access because of who you belong to. But that suffering part, we don't know about that. <laughs> the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. What was Paul saying? I want all of you, Lord. I just don't want the power of your resurrection to know that you can bring dead things back to life. I want a fellowship in my suffering with you. And we see all in his walk that that's exactly what he did. From being beat almost to, to death, to being bit by a viperous snake, all of the things that Paul went through. And he said, these light afflictions are working for me a far more weight of glory. Light afflictions? Did you hear what he just went through? But he had the cross in view. And what we go through is nothing compared to what our Savior went through. He knew that because of the intimate knowledge he had about our God. So I want to talk about not just the names of God, but the nature that comes with it. So how do we get to intimately know our God? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to share it with you. One of the things that John Piper, who's a, a theologian, a modern day theologian, said, God's purpose in creation and redemption is to have a family of children conform to the image of his son. So the things we go through aren't to kill us, they're to conform us. Because our daddy is right there in it with us. But when we forget about his presence, when we forget about the intimacy, our eyes can turn from his presence to the pain of what's going on. And when we do that, we miss his appearing and we miss his purposes. So the enemy always tries to get our focus off of what God is doing and where, he is, where he's at in the circumstance. So let's talk about some of the names and the nature of our God in scripture. We have, as I said earlier, Jehovah, Yahweh, they're interchangeable and means Lord. You ever seen your Bible where Lord is in all caps? This is where you'll see Yahweh and Jehovah there. It means the Trinity. It's they're the three in one. It's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. So anytime you see Lord in all caps, it means Jehovah, the most high Trinity, the deity, all three of them. That's what it means when you see Lord. So in Deuteronomy 6, 4, you'll find that in Daniel 9, 14 in Deuteronomy, Moses was telling Israel to obey Yahweh and they'll prosper. So he was telling them, look, you know who he is intellectually, but if your obedience follows, you'll see the blessings that come with knowing him. His nature is to bless. His nature is to make you prosperous. So Israel, if you'll step into intimacy with God and obey him, you'll see the provisions that he has for you because he loves you. We see in Daniel 9, 14, Daniel prays for Israel because they're in rebellion. Do you know most of the time when people got to meet God in his nature, in his attribute, they were going through something? And some things were real traumatic. We have El Elyon, God mighty, strong, and prominent. Um, and my son was laughing at me in a car because I was practicing. Because really when you say that word, it's a lech. And I kept trying to clear my throat. <laughs> so you say it. <laughs> But it means God mighty, strong, and prominent. He forgave Israel from their rebellion when they uh, uh, appointed a leader to go back to Egypt. Remember, they were walking through the wilderness, and they were tired of Moses. And they say, look, we're going to go ahead back to Egypt. Egypt represents bondage. Now, God had freed them, 
They're going through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They get tired of their journey. So they decide to make another leader to go back to bondage. Have you ever been there when you're tired of the journey? You're saying, Lord, you know what? I don't know. I might've heard you wrong. We probably made a wrong turn. I don't know what pastor's doing. He just bought a skating rink, Lord. This does not make sense. I think we just need to go on back. And Israel got to meet God in that moment because he could have just taken them all out. But he didn't. He was the God Almighty. He heard their cry. And instead of giving them what they really deserved, he gave them what they needed. He's strong. He's prominent. He'll also slay the wicked over and over again in scripture. We see where God came to the defense of Israel, not because they deserved it, because he loved them and he would slay their enemy, Pharaoh in the Red Sea. And we can go on and on all the ites in scripture, Amalekites, Midianites, all of them, all the ites would come up against Israel and God would deal with them miraculously. How many know that's a good way to know your father? intellectually you know he's going to show up but when you see his hand when you see the red sea parted when you see water coming out the rock that's an intimate knowledge of who he is that your eyes got to see who our god is then there's another word for for our father el shaddai or name i should say it means god almighty the mighty one of jacob we find that in genesis 49:24 and Psalms 132, 2 and 5. And here in Genesis, we, we're, um, most of us are familiar, familiar with the story of Joseph. He was thrown into the pit by his brother, sold into slavery. He had a dream, and the brothers didn't like the, the fact that he was liked by his father. He had the coat of many colors, and we go on and on. But we see here God delivering Joseph, and he's the mighty one of Jacob. He dealt with Jacob's sons through covenant. And so we meet God as a covenant-keeping God. He is the God Almighty, the mighty one of Jacob. And then we find Adonai, which means Lord, the Lord, my great Lord. So it's the greatness of God that's evident when you see Adonai. Genesis 15, 2, it's the song of Moses when they, we, they passed through the Red Sea and then they turned around and saw Pharaoh vanquished right before their eyes. And then they got their praise party on. So they started singing and dancing. And this is basically who they were acknowledging that God is a great Lord. He, he, he delivered them out from Pharaoh's hand, out from the enemy. And so they were dancing and singing and having a party. And that was who they were praising, Adonai, the great God. And then we also see in Judges 6.15, Gideon was hiding. Not only was he of the smallest of tribes, he was the youngest. And the Midianites were trying to take over. And they had coupled with another enemy of them. And, and the Lord came to Gideon, who was hiding, and basically said, look, you will not die. I'm going to fight for you, my paraphrase. But basically, look, get up out of here and let's do what we're supposed to do. And of course, God fought mightily on their behalf. So it was the great God, the great Lord that they got to meet in that fight. They got to see that nothing can trump. You could be the smallest and the least, but as long as you are on God's side, you're the greatest. And that's what they got to see intimately that day. So we see him as Adonai, 
Yahweh Jireh, or Jehovah Jireh, we're used to hearing. He's our provider. Genesis twenty-two fourteen. Most of you remember that account. God tells Abraham to take Isaac, the promised child, the one he waited for for years, and go sacrifice him on the mountain. We know Abraham rose early in the morning. I would love to think that it was because of his obedience, or either he did not want to tell Sarah what he was getting ready to do to her son, so he just rose up on early, said, come on, Isaac, let's get our stuff. Let's tip on out while mama is asleep. That's just my paraphrase. <laughs> of course, he was a mighty man of God, a righteous man. He rose early in his obedience, went to sacrifice Isaac, and we know the Lord stopped him and said, nope, don't do it. He was intimately showing Abraham what it was going to feel like to put his son on the altar for many. So it was a moment that God was able to feel, or excuse me, Abraham was able to feel what it would feel like to have to sacrifice your only begotten. Intimacy. And so he got to know him as Jehovah Jireh. And of course, the ram was in the bush and he was able to go ahead and sacrifice that. And Abraham says, I call this place Jehovah Jireh. Have you ever been in a spot where God told you to be obedient? You said, okay, God, it's all or nothing. And God provides there's a place in God, and that's where Abraham got through. Through rising early in his obedience, he looked at what he had to give up as worship. He said to his servants, you stay here. I and the ladder are going to worship. What, Abraham? You know you're going to give this son up as a burnt offering? And back then, they knew what burnt offerings meant. You're not getting anything back. But this is Abraham's faith because he was intimate with his God. He said to the servants, you stay here. I and the lad are going to worship and we will be back. Intimacy. Abraham had no clue what was going to happen on the top of that mountain. But he was so intimate with his God and so remembered the promise that he said, even if I have to kill him, God's going to bring him back. Does he not have the power to resurrect? So it doesn't matter what God is asking you for. Even if you waited for it a long time, just go ahead and give it to him. Everybody says a test. Don't you wish, you know, when you're watching the TV and that beep tone comes on too, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Don't you wish you had that little beep tone in your soul? Just went too when it's a test. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> so I just look at everything as a test. I remember who my God is. I remember the promise that he gave me. And I work it on out from there. God, this doesn't make sense. Even Isaac said to Abraham, okay, now I see the fire, see the wood, but um, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham knew his God so much, he said, God will provide. Sometimes you don't need an answer. God will provide. How many you know that's intimacy? That's trust. I don't have a clue where it's coming from. I love that song. He made a way. Don't know how, but you did it. How many of us have that testimony? Don't know how, God, but you did it. And doesn't that increase your faith for the next test? Because now you can look back. You got this thing going on, and that's what Israel kept forgetting. They, forget, they kept forgetting to look back. Who is your God? What did he do at the Red Sea? What did he do when you didn't have water? What did he do when you were tired of the manna? Birds, a quail all over the place. So now I'm at another trial you think my, my mind, my, my spirit would say, just look back. Who is your God? And then I can worship him here on this side of the Red Sea instead of waiting till the sea parted. 
But these are the moments the enemy will try to cause you to doubt. God doesn't love you. He doesn't even exist. Just go ahead and take your life. There's somebody in this room right now that the enemy's been in your ear to take your life. It is a lie from the pit of hell. When you know your God, when you know who he is to you and what he did for you, you can just keep it moving and bind that up and say, I will live and not die. And I will declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's intimacy when you know him. So here we have Jehovah Jireh. Oh, I can have some testimonies about the next one. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Glory. We'll find this account in Exodus 15, 26. Children of Israel are in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They've been fussing since they left, trying to pour, kill poor Moses. They come up against, now they've been ha- without water for three days. And they come up against water. And Oh, thank you, Jesus, water. They realize the water is bitter and they can't drink. So do you think they prayed or worshiped? You think they said, well, Lord, you parted the Red Sea. You, you spoke to the rock and water just came on out. Man, every day, Lord, you got delivery service. That was the first delivery service. Man didn't come up with that. You know that, right? That was our God. <laughs> he would deliver man every morning. And now the water's bitter. They cry out. They're complaining. They're murmuring. So Moses speaks to God and God says, Moses, throw the tree in the water. Now, when you look that up and you study about the tree, it was called the Torah tree. Mm, Torah, books of the law, five. When you throw the word of the Lord in bitter waters, it becomes sweet. So he obeyed God through that tree in the water and the waters that they could not drink became sweet where they can drink. We know the cross is likened to a tree in scripture. So I don't care what bitter waters you come up against, whether they've been in your past or your present. If you take a moment and let that cross go in those bitter waters, what you couldn't drink from before, you'll be able to drink through now. Because your God is divine. Your God has power, divine power. But if you don't remember who your God is, the moment you come up against the bitter waters, you begin to complain. Well, God, you bought me out here to die. I'm getting ready to be homeless. The doctor's giving me this report. So it's not what we go through. It's how we go through. And how we go through lets you know how much you know of your God. Amen? I remember when um, I was pregnant with my youngest, Isaiah, who's going to be 20 in August. Help me, Jesus. (laughs) I was about eight months pregnant. They did a sonogram and told me that he had a brain tumor. And the brain tumor was about that big on his brain. And they said, and there's nothing we can do about it until he's about six weeks old. So you're going to go have to go through the labor and then bring him back when he's six weeks and we'll figure out what we need to do with this brain tumor. Now, could you imagine my husband and I leaving the hospital with that information? I'm in the car, tears rolling down my face, and the song comes on the radio, No Weapon Formed Against Us by Fred Hammond. So I just began to sing that song. I closed my eyes and I began to declare no weapon formed against me will prosper. No weapon formed against this baby in my womb will prosper. We are covenant partners with you, God. I'm not looking to the doctors to do not one thing. 
God, it's me. It's me crying out to you. No weapon formed against me. I've seen the weapon form, God. I saw the tumor myself, but I declare it will not prosper. And each time that thought came to me, I had to just push it back. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And the enemy was right here in my ear. What you going to do? This baby's going to die in your womb. He's going to be brain dead when, when you have him. And I would just have to fight it for the word says. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. For it is written, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I wish I could have had a tape recorder. How many times I had to say that scripture and not just say it in my head, but say it in my heart. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I have Isaiah. Sure enough, as as they asked me to, I bought him back at the six weeks appointment. We took him to the hospital. They're doing a sonogram. The tech is running the script and he looks at me and he says, I'll be right back. I'm thinking, oh Lord, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Now, this is how tricky the enemy is because the first time they were telling me that, that's the same thing that they did. They did. The nurse looked at it. She said, I'll be right back. She went and got another doctor. They came in and they kind of huddled up around the screen and then they're talking. Then they go out and get another doctor and they come in. How I many you know that's not good? So now here we go again. I'll be right back. I said, go ahead, be right back. Because I'm going to be right here with my Savior. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Oh, it was a fight. Brings the other doctor in. So they're huddled up again. And I'm like, no weapon. Y'all would have thought I was Fred Hammond by now. So the tech turns to me and says, Miss Perkins, I don't know how to explain this, but the tumor's gone. They turned the screen around to me. Now they showed it to you before, correct? Yes. Do you see it? No. We don't know what I know. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. So I got to know him intimately as my healer. My second child was in a topic pregnancy that ruptured. Blew one tube out, damaged the other one. They told me, Miss Perkins, you probably won't have children. It's not a good prognosis. We already had one. Nicole, this was our second baby. And I said, okay, how do you take that, that that's it? And it just didn't settle right with me. So a whole year we tried, no children. But I said, God, you are my healer. You, God, are my healer. The pastor called an altar call. He said, I just feel like we need to pray for healing today. I was unctioned to go up to the altar. I don't know why. I just went up there. I'm thinking, I'm fine, Lord, but I don't know. Okay. So I went up to the altar. My husband following me thinking, okay, she must need healing for something. And as the pastor gets to me. He says, you're anxious about something. And the Lord says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto him. And the peace of God will dwell in your hearts richly. I'm looking at him like, I have no clue what he's talking about. My husband got a word of knowledge. He's talking about our baby. And the moment he said that, a release came over me and I just began to weep. And the, the pastor put his hands on my stomach and said, in the name of Jesus, you're healed. I went because they had it found, they found a lot of scar tissue and they said this, we probably won't be able to conceive. You got one tube gone, the other one damaged and all this scar tissue. Went to church, they prayed over me. 
went back to the doctor and they said, okay, this is the game plan. We're going to go ahead and try to do surgery and move all the scar tissue and see then if we could, you know, if you can conceive. And if not, then we'll have to do, you know, come back. Let's come back to the table, do plan B. I said, okay. So my husband and I, we do all of the, the sonograms, the x-rays, all you got to do. They figured out what scar tissue they were going to remove. We get prayed over. Surgery was about a week later. Went there. They put me under. I was under about 10 minutes. So they wake me up, and they said, Ms. Perkins, um, don't know how to explain this to you. There's no scar tissue. How many know he's a healer? So I got to witness to the doctors. I know why the scar tissue isn't there. Because Jesus took it. He's my healer. I had to intimately step into a realm with him and believe beyond the natural that, God, you can do something about this. And I have two more. Right after that, I had, we were pregnant within like two months. So the middle son that was born then was Joshua. He's 24, and Isaiah will be 20, like I said, in August. Tell me God's not a healer. But see, I met him, met him in intimacy through trials. Could it be that these light afflictions are working for us? They're our employees. So all of these things that were happening to me that the enemy wanted me to think were against me were my employees. Doesn't the scripture say they're working for you? That means I'm the boss. So I had to tell my employees, this is what you're going to do. See, because you're working for me. And what you're working for me is a far more weight of glory. Because now I get to stand up here, and as Tiffany said earlier, we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Do you have a testimony about knowing him? Did I want to go through that? Absolutely not. But I wouldn't trade it for the world because that's where I got to know him intimately. So it's not just the intellect I know he's a healer. You don't have to convince me that he's a healer. I know from myself he's a healer. So that's what they learned in scripture. Going through these things, who he is, he's a healer. They healed, he healed that water so they can drink. It was no longer bitter. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. We have Moses and Joshua and all the crew fighting the Amalek, their enemy. And I love this picture because it's a picture of generations. Joshua was in the valley fighting. Moses, Aaron, and Ur were on the top of the mountain. Moses gets weary. How many of you know leaders get weary? I know you think we robocops, but we're not. <laughs> we are weary. And so what Aaron and Ur did is they set them on a rock. That's Jesus, by the way. So we need to be praying for our leaders, especially when they get weary. Don't set them on a pedestal. Don't set them on a schedule. Don't set them on expectations. Set them on Jesus. And that's exactly what Aaron and Ur did. They set him on Jesus. And then they lifted his arms. And it says, and remember Moses had the staff. And every time his arms were up, Joshua and the crew would win down in the valley. And every time his arms came down, they would lose. So Aaron and Ur got on one side or the other and just made sure his arms stayed propped up. Now, it doesn't seem much that they would just lift his arm. Every little bit that God has us do, 
equals a victory for all of us. Because sometimes you don't think what you're doing counts. All I got to do is lift his arm. I don't even get to lift both arms. I just lift one arm. Do they realize how gifted I am? But here's my responsibility. Do they realize I can sing like Patti LaBelle? Do they realize who I really am? I can preach the pain off these walls. And you got me what? Lifting an arm. But when you have a servant's heart, (laughs) when you know who your Savior is, whatever he has need of because of intimacy and relationship, it's as big as being down there in the valley fighting. And so here we have a generational picture of Moses, Aaron, and Ur, wisdom on top of the mountain, seated on a rock. Then you have a picture of Joshua's strength, youth, down there fighting. They come together and they're working in intimacy with their father. And they realize they've won the battle because they lifted up the authority that God gave them. So they weren't fighting in their own authority. They were fighting in the authority that God gave them together. And Moses says, I call him Jehovah Nisi. He is the banner over us. Do you realize you have a banner over you? It's so important that we come together. That's why I love seeing the youth serve with us. Us meaning older, not old, just older. (laughs) Because we both have a part to play, wisdom and strength. And in that wisdom and strength, they won the battle. I remember one day my husband and I told this story a long time ago. So for those of you that were here, I'm sorry, but there's new folk. So bear with me. Most of you know my husband was a police detective and uh, we were going out to buy him new shoes for work. And so he's looking at these shoes and he's turning them over and I come beside him and I looked at the sole. I said, you shouldn't buy those shoes. And he said, why? And I said, because you're not going to be able to chase anybody with those shoes. The, The sole is too slick. And he looked at me like I had two heads. He said, Chase, that's for the rookies. <laughs> he said, I got wisdom. I'll find them. <laughs> and I thought, what wisdom? <laughs> Let the young folk chase the people. The te- He'd been on the force so long. He know how to find you. Just go on your Facebook, get your address. He'll, he'll be sitting at your address waiting for you by the time you get there. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I had to laugh <laughs> because the wisdom... He knew I don't chase anymore. But how I many you know they all work together to get the job done? And we know who we're getting it done for. They didn't high five each other. You did a good job. They said, huh, Jehovah Nisi. He's the banner over us. They gave him, they gave God the praise. They got to meet the Lord in a special way that night. And then Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord sanctifies. It was the building of his tabernacle. We know he had specific things for the tabernacle. The Lord, our peace, Jehovah Shalom. How many of you have been in turmoil? You just call on Jehovah Shalom, your peace. You find that in Judges 6, 24, when Gideon was able to defeat Midian. Peace came over the land. Jehovah Elohim, the all-powerful one, the creator Genesis 2, 4 and Psalms 59, 5 is where you'll find that. So all of these are expressions of our faith so that when we get to know him intimately, then it encourages and informs our faith. So now we don't have to look at the circumstance or look at man and hope that something will happen. 
We can say, no, I know who my God is. I'm standing in faith. I don't care what this looks like. My God delivers. My God heals. My God provides. And so it informs our faith in a way that we walk, not worrying about the circumstance, but knowing that faith is a substance of things hoped for. We're hoping on what God said was going to happen. He is who he says he is and the evidence of things not seen. It's also of an extension in our fight because we fight differently when we know our God. We fight in faith. The, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against forces, world forces, high spiritual wickedness against um, in, in heavenly places. Our weapons are not cardinal. Today, the weapon is intellect. There's so many smart people out there, it's scary. Everybody's an expert. You ever watch in the news and the expert of this and the expert of that? I thought, well, what makes them an expert? Like, what is the criteria? What, is, what are the measurables of being an expert? We see the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the experts of the law. And they studied Christ so long that they didn't even know it was him when they showed up. That's how expert they were. We got to be really careful about this intellect that is in this day. I like what, um, in closing, Paul said in Philippians 3, 2, and 9 going to jump down to verse five or four, excuse me. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of the Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. So Paul was saying, if anybody has a right to be prideful, it's me. I'm the cream of the crop. I'm the Hebrews of the Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I know the law. And God knocked him right off of his horse and said, now know me. This is me. So when we know God intimately, it informs our fight. We fight for a bigger cause like David did. Remember when Goliath was coming up against Israel? And nobody wanted to fight. Everybody was scared of Goliath. And I love David's response. Who is this unclean Philistine that has the nerve to come up against the living armies of God? He took a kingdom, y'all. You know how we say we took a street? He took a kingdom. It wasn't about him. He said he's, he's trying to come up against the living armies of God. One rock, you all. And out of all the places he hit Goliath, where did he hit him? In his, hit, in his intellect. Jesus will take the giant and hit him in his intellect and take him on out. I believe in this hour, we're going to fight the same spirit that Jesus dealt with before he was crucified. That's the spirit of intellect. Everybody knows everything. And when you know knowledge, you get puffed up. But when you know God, you're humble. And you recognize that it is our God that does these things. It is our God that moves. We don't have to look at the world and say, oh my, the sky is falling. Who is our God? He reigns. He has all authority. He has all power. In closing, I like something that Graham Cook um, wrote. He's a modern day prophet. He says, intellectuals do not have empowered perception in the spirit. They merely have enlarged insight within the realm of logic and reason. This is a perception from a smaller place of being. You must see in the spirit 
Enlightenment begins with a vision of someone or something that causes an increase of faith and vitality. So when we're intimate, it opens up our relationship with God. When we're intellectual, we come from a small place of reasoning and logic. When God has given us access to the realm. So when we understand intimacy and that if we are saved, we have access to the realm, what do we need with logic and reason? But it comes through us being spirit-filled as our pastor has been preaching. So that's why it's important to be intimate with God and be spiritually inclined to hear God's voice and declare what he says. And closing as we stand, I want to declare Ephesians 117 over us. Because it's so important to know him intimately, as Paul said. And the power of his resurrection, divine provision, divine power, divine access. And the fellowship of his suffering, which means when we go through, we step in and fellowship with God. God, when I'm rejected, this is how you felt. But it's frail because you did this for mankind. I'm just feeling rejected for little old me. You get to fellowship with him in that. So in closing, I want to declare Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gracious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not to look good, not to sound good, not to impress, but to know him better. Wisdom and revelation to know him better. Father, we declare that you are a good, good father. And that many of us know of you, but we don't know you intimately. Lord, we haven't come into acquaintance with your nature because we were just about getting on the other side, getting out of the situation. But we forgot that you reveal yourself in these situations so that we may know you better. So, Father, tonight, we want to come to a place of knowing you better in every situation. We want to resound what Paul resounded, to know you, Father, in the power of your resurrection. I don't know how, but you did it. Your miraculous power has revealed your nature to us. And you said you are faithful to conform us to your image, which means what you do, we do. What you say, we say. So, Father, we thank you for conforming us to look like you to talk like you, to think like you, Father. Lord, I pray tonight that as we sing this song, if anyone wants to say, Lord, I need to know you better, just step out of your seats, come down to the altar. This is a moment between you and God. But we don't want to leave here without intimacy, Father. We just don't want to know of you, know great scriptures, know how to quote them, but not know how to live them in you. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that it transforms us. It's the renewing of our mind. Thank you for putting your word in us, writing it on the tablets of our heart, that we would be your people and that you are our God. Do you know him tonight? If you don't know the Lord, haven't asked him to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior, We want everyone to pray this prayer. And this the first time you're praying this prayer, we want you to come down because we want to start the precious walk with you to be intimate with your Savior. 
intimate with your creator and your father. Everyone say, Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner. Lord, it is my sin that has separated me from you. Tonight, I make the choice and the decision to ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart. Be Lord. Lead and guide me, Father. I receive your precious gift of relationship and intimacy. From this day forward, you are my Lord, my Savior, and my God. In Jesus' name, amen.